You're listening to the Google Ads Podcast, brought to you by Solutions Aid, the Google Ads agency. If you're spending 10 grand a month or more in YouTube ads, you have to know this. This is the way that it has to function in order to be successful. Did I overstate that? No, not at all. And even if you're spending a little bit less than 10 grand, but if you're thinking about YouTube, it's right to measure it properly from the beginning. There's so many fail points that Google is interjecting itself that you just don't know and that we didn't know until we started actually testing different metrics and different things that you probably don't even think about. But it really increased efficiency to the point where we're able to scale cold traffic by massive amounts. So we're going to do a deep dive. Strap in. Let's do this. Yeah. Dave says, holy crap. Who's that guy? (laughs) It's fun. Dave has been a long time listener, long time viewer. He is. Let's get started in this week's lesson. This week's lesson is going to be talking specifically about YouTube ads. And we have a client that's spending about 3K a day in YouTube and another client that's spending a little bit more than that in YouTube. Let me just actually get a metric here because it's going to be important whether you're starting off at like $30 a day or 10 grand a day, does not matter. These are the metrics that you have to understand even to just scale. That's what I think is a really, really, really important facet to know. His clients spend about 100K a month, about three or four grand a day. So both about the same level. But there's a lot of things that people don't necessarily look at when they're looking at YouTube ads. And there's some tips and tricks that we found to be very, very, very effective that will help curb the over-attribution that YouTube does and curb sometimes even if you're not segmenting properly by measuring the results properly, you're not going to see how good you think it is versus what it actually is. And what I mean by that is Google has been implementing more and more ways, data-driven, engaged view conversions, and we'll take it one step deeper about where they're getting those engaged view conversions that are making you think, wow, this campaign is looking really good and I'm going to dump more money into it. It's kind of like Pmax. PMAX, make itself look amazing. You get omni-channel traffic, you get brand, you get dynamic remarketing for two cents a click. It's going to find ROAS wherever it is. And then you dump in 10X to spend and the client loses 2% revenue, but Google looks fantastic. YouTube is starting to do the same thing. So Google's over-reporting, over-indexing, reaching with both hands in YouTube the same way that we know that it's doing that inside of PMAX. Right. And the way that video action campaigns are kind of being structured now, what it's happening is... You've all seen the kind of progression. It's like leading the lamb to slaughter kind of thing. It's like, hey, engage view conversions. That's just now defaulted to three days. Don't worry about it. And then in the back end, what we didn't see is that engage view conversions went from a 10 second count. But when you're running vertical video, which is another thing Google's pushing, it's actually a five second count. So when you're Wait, running- on- there for just a minute. What's the difference between vertical video and everything else that we were running? Yep. So in stream skippables are a 10 second before the count of view. A vertical video, which is YouTube shorts, Yep. is now a five second gauge view conversion, which means if in a in-stream skippable, you have to watch at least five seconds after the skip. So you got the at least 10 seconds for in-stream. Yeah. And then this first five seconds after the skip. So if you watch it one, two, three, uh, four, five, and then it says, go ahead and skip it. If you watch it for five seconds after that, you get charged and you get a view. And if that person ever converts later on, without even clicking on the ad, you get engaged view conversion. But we know that Google is contacting everyone and says, hey, vertical videos, we see a 25% increase in conversions with vertical video. Of course. Why? Well, one of the things is that a YouTube shorts that is not skippable. I mean, it is. It's skippable at any point in time, but there's not a five-second countdown. If you watch five seconds of that ad, that's now an engaged view conversion. Mm-hmm. If they ever convert later on, even without clicking on the YouTube shorts. It's so interesting because con- and shorts is prioritized real estate inside of Google. That inventory is shoved in your face nonstop. And then once you're in there, it's so sticky to you. Like once you're in there, it's hard to get out. Exactly. But then the other part too is like, okay, so how does YouTube Shorts really start to attribute more conversions to itself? So I'm going to first start off on a use case that is really eye-opening and really mind-blowing that I think is going to shed a light on the omni-channel attribution, which is kind of our specialty. We have been known as kind of like the omni-channel gurus. We've been called on LinkedIn now. And this would kind of be no different. It's going to be really, really, really interesting. So I'm going to pull up a campaign. This is going to be blurred. If you're watching it live, it'll be unblurred just for a moment. There we go. This is a client we're spending a whole bunch of money on on YouTube. What we did on March 1st was excluded the website traffic from being able to be targeted by our top of funnel YouTube campaigns. We already have our existing customers excluded. But what we then did is removed the actual website audiences, the audience. Why? This client's spending hundred grand a day on Facebook. We're spending a million dollars a month in Google. And hundred grand of that is on YouTube. 
So we said we want to scale cold traffic. I don't really look at Google ads in app metrics. They're all BS anyway, in my opinion, because of when you're running heavy omni channel and this is heavy omni channel targeting, eh, you know, we already know that it's going to be messed up. So what I did is said, I think those engaged view conversions aren't real because as we start to scale YouTube, the amount of new customers don't scale with it. And it should, it's top of funnel. It's brand new, right? Well, when we excluded the existing website traffic and then put a hundred percent more cost in here, you'll see that the click attributed conversions went up hundred percent, went from 273 up to 570. Whoa. The engaged view conversions went from 1153 to 1199. It only gained 3.9%. Dude, that is nuts. You just caught Google red-handed there selling them their own traffic back to them. The only thing we did was say, you can't target people who've already been on our site. And we did this across all of our campaigns that are what they call essentially top of funnel. So watch this campaign name equals TOF because we have remarketing. I don't, I can't include those as well. That's the YouTube rem, but the YouTube remarketing here, when we scaled up 245%, our click attributed conversions in all of our top of funnel went up 184 and the engaged views went up 49. So this did not scale as much as the clicks did. It used to be 450 and 1500. Now it's 1200 and 2200. Yes, there will be cold traffic that sees an ad and then converts later on. I'm not discounting those. I just don't want to scale those. I want to scale click attributed conversions. This is all these campaigns here. And it's really, really amazing that when you like this one here, this campaign clicks 37% more click attributed conversions, 20% less engaged view conversions. The first thing that we noticed is as soon as you take away the ability for YouTube to auto target anybody else based on what the bidding strategy of maximize conversions, how is it going to find people to maximize? Well, website traffic is a good place yeah. to start to show them an ad and become Facebook again. You know, what's interesting about that is it's the way that the mechanism has to be built in that instance, because in that campaign, you're not asking for website traffic. It's not a remarketing campaign. You're telling Google to go after independent, ostensibly cold targets and Google's saying, and your website. Exactly. It's like, I'm looking for in-market people who have interested in fitness. It's an example. It's not that, but there's examples where it's like in-market and affinity of these type of fitness people. And it's like, cool. What if I found two thirds of your conversions to people already on your website? Well, don't scale that. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Thanks amount to fraud. It is. It really is. And I have 90 days worth of proof. This isn't just like one day, one week. This is three months here of data. So it leads into the other case study here. My other case study that I've been scaling really, really well. This has been actually kind of a funny case study. In September of 2022, I actually stopped Performance Max for YouTube for this client here. Now, what's really crazy is these clicks and the conversions, except for March. This is a really, really messed up month. It is a GA4 issue, so we have to take that out. Sorry. But besides that little mess up in tracking, this has been extremely accurate with the clicks and conversions. Why? Well, when we look at the ad event type, out of $485,000 worth of spend, 100% of these have been click attributed. We don't have engaged view conversion in this account. So this scaling has been pure cold. And in the back end of what I can see from the client's HubSpot, this is actually perfectly scalable into actual backend results. Now we're only running Google, a little bit of Facebook, primarily Google, but three grand of the five grand per day is on YouTube. So when I push this, we see a great result in the back. Now I can scale this from a cost perspective and a conversion. I can go from 70 grand down to 47 grand back up to 80 grand and the conversions rise and fall with it. It's predictable. In the back end, I'm always around 60, $65 CPA. In Google, I'm always around 140. Yes, there's gonna be loss of attribution. Would engaged view conversion help tell me what's actually going on in a singular omni-channel market? Yes, we're spending 90% of our budget on Google, which means if I had engaged view conversions or not, this scenario would probably be a little bit better. I would be more clean. It might be more like 90 if I have click attributed and engaged view conversions, which would be more accurate towards the truth. But what Google is not going to tell you is, wait, 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 before you count engaged view conversions, are you sending traffic to your site from anywhere else? Because that's mine too. And we like you to scale that because I could show a whole great, amazing results off of that. It's Facebook again. It's the click and view default. And it defaults for three days. All Google has to do is show an ad to a person that they think is going to be ready to buy and only be, if they're not within 72 hours of that error window, they're golden. So when you're looking at click attributed, this scaled perfectly. And I've been doing this since October of last year. So that was the first thing. We saw that engaged view conversions were going after warm traffic, calling it cold because either A, Google doesn't know the difference or B, it's the same type of tracking that we're doing on Facebook. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong. It just means that we're both really good at targeting the audience, but there is overlap there. Understanding the overlap 
and not scaling the overlap is going to keep your MER consistent because if you're adding in more cold users, you're not adding in more cold users and paying twice as much for warm users, your MER will stay the same. Again, MER is king. ROAS sucks. POAS sucks. It's MER. I won't challenge anybody. And dude, all MER says, and you've said this before, I think it's such a simple concept that escapes so many people. If you spend more money in ads, you should make more money. It doesn't matter that your agency is showing you increased conversions, increased ROAS, decreased TCPA. If you spend more money, there should be more money in your bank account. And that's what MER tells and shows you. And that's why we want people to focus on MER. If you add in 25% more spend, you should be getting 25% at least more revenue. It should be a 1x growth, or at least there should be some growth. But you can't point to a different metric and say, yes, but look at the likes and the comments and shares. Look at the top of the funnel. Look at the awareness. ROAS, you wouldn't think is a vanity metric, but it becomes a vanity metric because it's like, look, we took all these people that were going to convert and we made them convert using Google ads. Right, (laughs) right. Exactly. That's what's interesting is first, we're hammering Google metrics again because it's designed to steal, just like Facebook, just like Pmax. They're designed to steal. I don't mean they're malicious. What I mean is they are designed to take credit for everything they had a hand in, even if someone else had a hand in them. So let's look at some additional metrics now. Let's look at how do we trim the fat? How do we optimize this? Okay, great, John, thank you. But what do we do? Well, we have to look deep into the metrics and we also have to look at where's our points of diminishing return. So there's probably a whole bunch of columns I'm gonna share here that people probably don't watch, probably don't look at. And I wanna demystify them a bit because if you're running YouTube, you should be looking at all of these metrics, viewable, non-viewable, measurable, non-measurable, measurable, viewable CTR versus non-viewable and distribution, the average watch time, even watch time in seconds. All this stuff here, view rate looks bad. It's not actually really, it's a different scenario. I'm gonna demystify all of these for people. Because if you're not looking at these metrics and looking at just ROAS and you're wondering why you can't scale or when you scale, the client upset, even though your metrics look good, this is all of the information you have to look into. And first, I'm going to start off with a tip. Go into your placements inside of your YouTube. Go into placements and add this as a negative placement. This is action item number one for anybody running YouTube, period. Google AdSense underscore without underscore YouTube.com. First thing you need to do, this is well known for probably half the people watching. The other half is a gold mine for you. If you're watching this on recording, it's a gold mine for you. This right here is gonna stop this from happening. Inside of settings, we all know that Google slash YouTube took away the ability for us to eliminate the video partners on this Google Display Network. This is gonna mess up all of your metrics and fluff all of your vanity metrics like impressions and views. It's gonna fluff it all and it's not gonna help you. You're gonna pay for it because you're paying by views. This is impression-based spending, not click-based spending like Google Ads is everywhere else. But because Google said, you know what? I'm not going to allow you to exclude the display network. I'm going to show your ad on YouTube and then any other website I deem relevant. Because When did they do that, by the way? It's like six months ago. You know what's embarrassing? I was on a perpetual traffic interview with Alric Heck. And we were were live building a campaign. He was actually auditing our campaign. And then I asked him. I'm like, yeah, you know, do you exclude display network or not? And then he's like, well, you can't any longer. And that happened in front of 300,000 people effectively. So I need to stay up to date better because I didn't realize that they'd done that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so so you can't, but what's funny is you can if you exclude that as a placement exclusion. And then what happens is if you look at the where ads showed in the content here, the where ads showed, you'll see on the network display, there's a bunch here that's still being shown. And that's because Google counts youtube.com as a display channel. That's cool. I'm good with that. So watch this. This is since September 22. After we add the exclusion, I'll have to see the date range that we add the exclusion. Just YouTube. Beautiful now. This is in March, I think. But we've got a, about 110 k in spend on other. That was the other bad part. So now we have with YouTube and display, it's all YouTube now. There is no display anymore. So we're on YouTube channels and YouTube sites. That's quote unquote display. So clean out the display traffic because it is very junky. That's action item number one. Action item number two, if you're using conversions as your bidding strategy, and if you're using conversions as to how to measure, I don't mean that there's you're measuring ancillary. I don't mean you're measuring MER. If you're still measuring conversions, you're going to want to go and exclude TVs. What I mean by that is when you look at the devices, you're going to exclude TVs here. TVs are good, but if you're measuring by conversions and you have a 25 second ad, people are just going to let it run and they're not going to click whether they like it or not. They're not going to run around and try to grab their clicker and be like, oh my gosh, I got to hit the button. Otherwise, this advertiser is going to be charged after 10 seconds. No, but you're going to pay for it, but you can't measure it because those people are not filling out the conversions. However, on this client, I have a really hard conversion. It is very difficult to get a lead. 
They have to take 12 minutes to convert. They have to build an entire $25,000. I can't tell you what it is because it's going to give it up, but it's a piece of home furnishing that's $25,000, $30,000, and they have to customize it with a bunch of things. So it's a hard conversion. <laughs> You're not going to get that on TV. You can't do it off of a clicker. And then at the end, we ask you to fill out a form and then have contact and then sales contact you. It's a hard conversion, really hard. Pmax worked a little while until we actually had click farms going through that. That was pretty amazing. People click farms were taking 12 minutes to convert on these things. If you're measuring by conversion, make sure TV screens are excluded or know that you're going to pay for it, but you can't measure this solely. That's action item number two. Action item number three, go into a scenario here. Let's just call it last 30 days as an example. This is important. This is especially important at scale, which is everyone's goal. Everyone wants to scale. And if you don't, you're in the wrong channel, but this is for scale. If you look at scale, average impression frequency per user is 2.6. There are people, yes, that see it more than five times, but on average, 7.7 .7 million watch once, 3.4 million have seen it twice. Now this impression, not view impression. 7.7 .7 saw it once, 3.4 saw it twice, 2.06 saw it three times. 1.4 million saw four times and 984,000 saw five times. Now, impression means two things. One, an in-stream skippable is an impression. Two, a YouTube search that shows your video ad or your PLA is also an impression. Is so, that technically YouTube discovery? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's, part, it's part of the YouTube network though, unfortunately. What YouTube did is they changed your video ad to a responsive video ad and now stuck it in the YouTube search listings by default. Mm -hmm. So know that if you're looking at impressions, you're not looking at impressions as of people who watched an ad and didn't skip. You're seeing image ads too. What do we take from this? We know that in a 30 day period, they see it on average of 2.4 times. Good. That's fine. 2.6 in forever land. Now we're using maximized conversions. Again, you all know me. I'm a big proponent of always going full bore measuring mer, never using an app TCB and TROS. But the byproduct of maximized conversions is at scale, Google is going to try to do two things. One, show it to more users, but also show it to more users more frequently. So that's going to be a byproduct of that. So what I usually will do is first, don't start your YouTube campaigns with a impression frequency. You don't know that. If you know how many times it's going to take for a person to see an ad before they convert, I will hire you because you are a genius and a psychic, but you don't know that. So what this means is that first gather the data. Say how many impressions on average does it take before a person converts, but also my campaigns are healthy and then limit one after that. On average, you saw that the people that are hitting five is only like 12% of my total. I'm limiting it now at four. Why? Well, I took this campaign from 300 a day to 3000 per day. And when I went from 300 a day to 3000 a day, you have an X and Y axis. I'm going to turn off my, my screen share here. You have an X and Y axis. X axis is ad spend. Y axis is people with more ad spend. Everyone assumes more people. No. Maximized conversions, more Aspen means less people, more frequency. So you're not going to scale one to one. You're not, there's a Z axis, yeah. right? It turns sideways and there's a depth there that Google's going to have you pay for. Why? Well, one, they can get engaged view conversions when they can show more ads to the same people more and more and just hope they buy. But two, you're not going to scale the same scenario. You're scaling warm and cold now. Locking it into a good warm and cold funnel, meaning that I'm okay with spending X on a first person knowing that in four days they will convert or in four impressions they will convert. That's a good funnel for me. I want more of that funnel. I don't want to mess up the funnel. I don't want to start adding in more views of warm audiences. That's going to hit a point of diminishing returns at scale. Your MER is going to suffer. So locking it into a four impression means that I'm taking the same exact scenario that I know it works with a healthy CPA and a healthy MER and a healthy NCAC and saying, I want 10X of this. I cap it here so that Google can't just start showing the impressions to four, five, six, seven, eight, 12, 14 and turn into Facebook. But now every dollar I put in, I get another person that's equally in that funnel that I need. And that's why my scale looks perfect. Mm. Is there a way for you to segment by placement within YouTube? Can you see the difference between what showed up in YouTube discovery versus in stream? You used to. I We actually tried to look at that earlier today. Me and Caden both found it. We we're studying it and it was great. You had a segment by network with search partners and it would say YouTube and then YouTube search. YouTube search was showing up like 10% of the time sometimes. I have not been able to get that scenario back. Now, That's interesting. I, I remember the segmentation existed at one point, but <laughs> even YouTube versus YouTube search, YouTube standalone could mean in-stream, but could also mean the recommendation tiles, the display. Here's why I'm asking, because I feel like placement in YouTube is so critically important and not all placements are created equal, obviously. 
And then our inability to direct placement puts us at YouTube's mercy. They're just going to sell us the inventory they have, not necessarily what's going to work the best. Is there a way to force placement? You can, but what you're doing is you're saying is two things. I either know the area that the people are going to be and I will, and that's the placements, or I let Google find them and I just get whatever placements I get. At scale, it's a little harder to lock into placements unless those audiences are huge, plentiful, and that channel is also allowing ads on their site or on their channel. So, but even if so, a video doesn't allow ads, Google will place ads on that video technically. Yeah, I've seen it a lot less though. Okay, that it was going to be my question. Yeah. That seems to be tapered down. Yeah, I can spend full daily budgets on it. It was like one tenth of what I thought I could spend. So it will show ads, but not every time. The other part too, I thought was interesting. Google is allowing it to do that because if you're not using placements and someone just happened to go on your webs on your channel, they'll show an ad to that person knowing it's the right audience, wrong channel. I mm. don't think that you'll be able to force placements on a channel that doesn't have that monetization turn on. Interesting. That's what's really cool about this is if you're looking at scale wherever they are, what I did is I developed a scenario that worked well and then locked it in at scale. But the way you lock it in is not letting it go to display and not overshowing the ads to the same people. And then also not allowing it to take an engaged view conversion. So stripping out those fattiness of, is it going to show on an app and kid game and a news channel more? If you have maximized conversions on, yeah, it doesn't care what the CPA is. It'll hit it. It's be like, hey, your CPA tripled, but I spent the money. What'd you do? I maximized conversions. Well, how much more conversions did you get for three times the spend? Or more maximized them. doesn't care. So it will go crazy in different directions. TV would overshow, display would overshow, impressions would overshow. It's doing whatever it can to maximize conversion, allowing it to be stay aggressive, hacking off the points that you know that Google's going to spend your money and scaling it gives you a real clean scale. Are you ready to start taking some questions? I got one last thing. Ooh. <laughs> We're going to demystify Better. now some of the metrics that people look at. This is what's crazy. So check this out. Right now, I have two ad groups that are so close. They're literally within 33 cents of each other cost per conversion this last week. They're great. What we're looking at is 58, 60 conversions. They're both at 159. Good. Cost per views. Good. All right. Now let's start it to measuring what's actually good. Here's an area that Google's going to screw you up. See the interaction rate four and five, 15. Once triple the interaction rate, but the same basically cost per lead, same amount of leads and the same cost. Like what's the difference? Well, the interaction rate is not a click. Look at the clicks and versus the interaction. Interaction is a view. Interaction is a like. An interaction is a share. An interaction technically could be going to your YouTube channel and getting an earned view because they looked at other videos on your YouTube channel. Those are all interactions. Those are indicative of intent. You can see the impressions 3.1 million and 858,000. Well, why am I spending more here and getting more sales if the impressions are massively different? This one's actually showing up a little bit more than I can see inside of YouTube search results, which then jumps over to this metric way over here called view rate. View rate is not how often a person saw your ad. That's watch rate. View rate is what people are getting confused is if my ad shows on YouTube search and YouTube in-stream skippable, this is your click-through rate to a watch. What that means is that if you do a YouTube search and your ad shows up and people don't watch it because they didn't click on it, your view rate goes down even though nothing happened to your in-stream skippables. Those are perfect. So view rate is measures the percent of people who watched your video after they saw the video or thumbnail. It equals the number of views your ads received divided by the number of impressions, not in-stream impressions, but all impressions, including thumbnail impressions for in-feed, which just means home page. So view rate is for display, watch rate is for in-stream. Exactly. So you see here, my views are a little bit down, a little bit here, but nothing to the point of like the crazy under a million above 3 million. It's not over three times better. They flip flop a bit. The coverage rate's about the same. I don't care about this. This is just YouTube is showing my ad more in a search result and it's not getting engagement there. That's okay. I'm not trying to. So don't base your metrics off of this and don't base your metrics off of impressions. Impressions are solely dependent upon, did Google stick you in the search results? If they did, all of a sudden your view rate gets cut in half and you're like, oh God, what's going on? Nothing. Let's look at watch time. This is a great metric to watch. Watch time measures the total amount of time that people watch your video ads in seconds. I have 5 million seconds of watched ads, 1.9 million seconds of watch time here. Also, by the way, these two audiences are very closely tied together. I'm not competing against them. I'm trying to just cover them. But if you're going to measure them, that's what that actually represents. That's 7 million seconds in the last seven days of watch time. Your ads are doing more than click attributed, by the way. Don't measure in-app ROAS, please, for the love of God. You're seven cutting yourself short. seconds is 116,000 minutes. That's a lot. I had to Google that. Now, here's the bad part. Don't do this. Here's where you have to watch. Do not say... Wow, that gets a better average watch time per per impression. Wow, they watched 25% of the ad more. They're watching this one here, but now they're watching this less. 
what am I doing here? What action should I take? Mm. Nothing. Nothing yet. Here's the reason why. What does everyone want when their ad gets shown? What are we all trying to do when our ad gets shown in YouTube? What do we want the person to do? Click. Right. Wouldn't that mean that I have less watch time out to 50 seconds and less average watch time per impression and average less watch time if they click more? <laughs> what a good point. The watch time could actually be bad. It's like they're not clicking, they're watching. You're too interesting. <laughs> well, that's what's so funny too is like this one has 5 million watch time, 2 million in watch time for 159 each and I just have 12 more here. That's not a difference. Can I say something obnoxious? Uh -huh. This is tangential, but I think so important. What did we spend to get this? We spent what to get seven million? Oh, seconds? this is a client. I spent twenty, 20 grand, grand this last week. Yeah. Okay. So seven million seconds is two thousand hours, basically one thousand nine hundred forty-four. Two thousand hours of high-end, high-value brand placement. Because, and here's the thing: if you're running just pure display ads, that's not the same thing as somebody watching a video, mm -hmm. like watching a video, they've potentially seen your face, heard your voice. They've been exposed to your messaging. Obviously you're getting the result, but you're also getting for 20 grand, 2000 hours of like human life invested in your brand that at some point is still available and accessible to you. I know we're not <laughs> supposed to bank on vanity metrics here as a performance agency, but gosh, that feels so valuable to me. Well, that's the reason why we have clients that come to us and fill out our form and says, I've been watching you guys for the last three months. There's another brand that I think has been you watching. You heard nothing, YouTube land. <laughs> that has been watching us for a couple of years. But, you know, we're paying 10 bucks an hour, basically, for people's attention. That's unbelievable. $10 an hour. That's that's good. Yeah, that's good. I'm Especially if they're interested. For Jack to go edit. <laughs> the 38 people here are in the know. But that's the thing. We have people that big brands, little brands, they all reach out to us. And they're like, I love your content. I love everything that you guys put out. And then the sales process is just like, okay, sign here. It's great because now we're working with people that know how we work and we don't have to sell ourselves. We've been selling ourselves for months on YouTube. Dude, I have clients <laughs> that get on sales calls now. They're like, no, I understand Murr, I understand attribution. And I'm like, you understand this way more than I do. This is actually really dangerous. <laughs> it's good stuff. So I wanted to demystify things a bit. When you look at the cost per conversion, that's the end goal, period. Do not try to predict that one ad is much shorter with a high call to action and one ad is a lot longer that has more education. You're going to have more watch time on that one. You're going to have more clicks in there one. These two are running two different strategies to two different audiences that overlap a lot with two different messages based on the way we're finding them. One's a competitor list of all of the people also along with contractor lists because they do home improvement things. And then the other one is just my targeting. So it's like, are you interested in the targeting and are you looking at contractors for home improvements? Because I have a home improvement item I'd like to sell you. Great. I'm blanketing my audience, which is what I want to do. I'm not necessarily competing them because everyone knows, especially the last thing that people need to take home, you need to understand this, is I have two ad groups. I spent 10 grand on average a week in both those ad groups. A person in ad group A is also the same person as in ad group B. Don't confuse the two. The overlap rate's like 70%. It is ridiculous because my one campaign set on MaxMix conversions has... Two different audiences that are fairly similar, so they're just going to overlap. If I kill one, the other one's going to die because all I did is just cut my impressions in half. Know that the overlap rate is so strong that your ad group separation by targeting is not indicative of actual separation of users. So when you're talking about optimization and measurement, know that those are going to be overlapping. So try to double down on what you see works. Do not try to make one versus the other one better. You will never know the overlap rate. Just know that it is there. And the overlap rate is how bad did your campaign tank when you try to turn off the bad one. You ready to do questions? Ah, uh, let's do Q and A. You, you want to know it. why I'm eager for Q and A? Because yeah. I have a job at Q and A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get to read the questions, which people can do for themselves. But I'm going to do it. We've got Jom says 2,500 conversions using max clicks with no limits. I switched to max conversions with one percent to realize would it work better? I wonder. Well, it's interesting. What campaign type are you using? If, see, if you are allowed to use max clicks and max conversions, that's not shopping. You can't use max conversions in shopping, and that's not going to be Pmax. It's got to be a search campaign, I would imagine. So if so, no, max conversions with a 1% TROS is not going to help. I think max clicks actually seems to be working better for you because you're looking like you're scaling on volume because you measured it in the question by 2,500 conversions, which means not CPA, not ROAS. If you're measuring volume, I would actually stand max clicks. If you needed a drop CPA or if you needed to massage, like this is my MER is bad. I have a ton of leads maybe, but very little sales. We got to measure something different. It's not bidding strategy related. It would be lead quality. That would be keywords, would be offline importation of conversion actions, then measure based on what those clicks that are coming from and if they're actually delivering you quality leads. So you didn't use any mm, conversion-based questions here. So I'm thinking this is a search campaign for lead generation. Joan, let me know if I'm wrong. 
but that'd be my recommendation. I actually keep it on max clicks. Max clicks, well optimized, great. It looks like you're going after volume. It's doing a great job at that. Soren Tutu. Hi, John. What's the easiest? You see this? <laughs> what is the easiest way to prove that Google data is not true always compared to Google data? Hope not to say because AI said so. No, I'll give you a big use case. Costume, you look like you dropped off. No, I'm still here. Restream has the ability for me to take my face out. Uh -oh. And I want to use these as reels. Yeah, see, but that's... So like, <laughs> if we're using this as a reel, it's just going to be like one idiot sitting there listening to the other guy talk. So that idiot should just be gone while the guy's talking, right? <laughs> yep, that works. <laughs> I'll share with you a quick use case. This use case is actually important for me to share because we had a client that has a CMO come in and essentially said, Hey, I measure in app. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea. And I gave him all the reasons as to what Joe, your question would be. And I said, here's all the reasons why is because what you can't measure is going to hurt. It's going to hurt the client. It's going to look good in Google. My job is not to make myself look good is to make the client win. And he believed that if the Google looked good, the client won. The core values that I bring to the table as a Google ad specialist contradict Google. The other person did believed Google very much. And on the 15th, I said, you know what? Let's give this a month, but I'm going to bow out. I'm going to stop touching the campaigns. Mr. CMO, you make all the changes that you would like, and we will simply measure later on if this was a good idea or not. I said, I do not want to be a part of it because my strong belief is that the client's going to be hurt. And because we have a difference of opinion, I don't want there to be a time period where we look back and said, solutions they could make this work because we try to make it work because I agreed to go along with something I disagreed with. So what I mean by that is here's a small last two weeks window on the 15th of this time period is when I bowed out and let the CMO take over. And the CMO took over and said, Hey, I disagree that a 40% T ROAS is actually working. If you're hitting your target, why not increase? And I said, well, if you increase the T ROAS, all you're going to do is hurt the back end, but you're going to make Google look a little bit better. Even on standard shopping, we had this thing go from 40% T ROAS all the way up to 140%. It was a big increase. And in that time period, the only thing that happened was we had a 5% increase in cost. Our cost per conversion went up 6%. Our conversions dropped by one. So we actually lost a little bit of conversions for more cost. And the ROAS dipped by 1% and the conversions lost here. I mean, it, basically nothing happened. The CPA went up. But what ended up happening also is the brand started to tank. The return traffic to the brand started to go down. And now that the client actually can't spend $200 a day that was, that was made there. And actually on the 25th, it's only spending now $348 a week. So brand is tanking because your standard shopping campaign got a little tighter, but all the stuff you couldn't see and you couldn't track and couldn't measure is not coming back in your brand campaign because you decided to crank up the restrictions to try to make the standard shopping campaign look a little bit better. And then the competitor, he goes, hey, I want a 6X the competitor. I'm like, please, for love of God, don't. It's not going to do that. So it cranked up 200% and we got 14% more conversion value. So long story short, all the changes that happened in the campaign of the campaigns are active, 13% more spend, 15% less conversions and 35% higher cost per conversion by cranking up the TROs and TCPA and trying to make Google look a little bit better. Meanwhile, the back end of the client is tanking, everything's down. And the only thing that are down is direct, which you can't measure, but also search. They're spending more on social, they're getting more on everything else is looking good, but the unknowns that they can't measure, such as direct is now down, which is the largest thing because I was running standard shopping, but that is now tanking. Unfortunately, no one will believe you until this happens. So Google ads looks a little bit worse. This area here, which is our biggest area, looks a little bit worse, even though they're spending a whole bunch more money on, on social. What I was doing instead of search was so immeasurable that even at 40% T raw is getting a 140. I'm like, that's the best we're going to get. That's all we can track. I know there's more, but we can't track anymore. If you try to tighten up the restriction, the back end is going to stop going after more exploratory audiences that were doing good that we can't measure. It's just going to wipe those out. Google ads is going to focus on what they know works. It means you can't scale. You're not going to be able to get actually the back end return direct traffic that you can't measure. Google ads might look a little bit better, but the client is going to lose. And that's why I bowed out because I love the client. I disagree with the CMO. So I said, Hey, I'll just take a step back. Let you do whatever you'd like. I just don't want to be any part of it. You think that so client's it's, coming it, back? <laughs> I think so. But yeah, what's bad too is I can see the CMO still cranking up the budgets and it's not even hitting daily spends now which is what I told him that happened. He said, I don't believe you. I sent over 10 use cases. He said, I still want to do it anyway. And I just said, hey, have at it. So we're taking a month off. The client, it's like, I don't want to burn a bridge with you. I said, no burden bridges. I just want to have a rock solid alibi that said I never touched anything.
during this test. Yeah, dude, what is it when the general on the battlefield wants to step down and start telling like the mortarmen how to fire the mortars? If you're actually a CMO, you should be big picture strategy. You shouldn't be like, oh, I know how to press these buttons better than you do. That was the thing too, is like, I get it. If you don't know the loss of attribution and the pushing of performance max and the purposeful decay, and I can't convince you after 10 use cases and you still say no, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. So that's why I was like, hey, I'll hang back. And I said, I'll be here whenever you need. If you have any questions, I will be here. She's not panning out yet. That's a good answer to your, how do we know? Send them this video. <laughs> Next up from Jome, how do I use customer match lists? Google just allowed me to do it. Does it improve performance drastically? No. Well, I mean, what are you going to do with the customer match list? If you're going to go after your existing customers, it's up to you. If you use them as lookalike audiences, you can't use that anymore to similar audiences. So they just call them optimized audiences. Now, I don't use customer match lists for anything else but exclusions. That makes sense. We focus on pure NCAC. Yes, it can drastically improve performance if you block all them. <laughs> that's so funny. That's actually, dude, that's good advice. Exclude them. Slavnik, hey guys, imagine a scenario where you get a new successful account that's open to running anything but never tried YouTube. Let's say 100,000 budgets a month. How much would you allocate to YouTube roughly? I don't know that scenario. We have to look at omni-channel marketing. How much are they spending? We have to look at the goals. What are they focused on? If they're focused on MER or NCAC, two way different things. Because if they're focused on MER, no YouTube. MER is just steady. If they need to scale, they have to look at NCAC. And if they're looking to scale at NCAC, then yes, YouTube. And depending upon the industry, maybe about ten to 15000 of that $100,000 if they're looking to scale NCAC. Well, not the amount of it, but scale more new customers, I guess I would say. Depending upon the goal and depending upon the existing situation and how much does a client also look at ROAS versus MER, because if you ever run YouTube and the client's ROAS only focus, you will lose 100% of the time. Never going to win. You're never going to beat search and shopping from YouTube clicks. But if they take a step back and say, here's omni-channel, Murr and YouTube. Remember last, it was like two weeks ago when I did the hammock case study yeah. and we scaled a 2.0 Facebook Murr. We scaled it 3x. I just said, yeah, but I don't remember that. I lied. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the Murr got balls. better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> This is the case study here. It'll take me two seconds here. This is the funny part. If you're looking at Mer or looking at ROAS, I guess I should say, if you're looking at in-app ROAS, no one is going to think that you're smart by doing this. And we're looking at April 15th to May 15th. If you look here, oh, nope, there's doing the one more before that. Let's do this. Yeah, March 15th to April 15th. If you look at the scenario and say, wow, Google ads spending 43, Facebook spending seven, you get a four, they get a one. They thought I was crazy when I said, crank that up higher than Google, we'll do better. Everyone looked at me like I'm stupid, but you'll look at 43,000 and 7,000 and watch this. So just look at this. Remember these numbers, six top line, 43, seven. Let's look at the last 28 days, seven top line, six went to 56 mm. and Google has to stay the same. Our two went to three. My Google went from seven to eight. Our top line actually raised. We were able to put 67% more spend for 40% more revenue and scaled really well because we took a 1x click attributed network and scaled it because I knew there was more view attribution that I can't count. What happens when people view and have, view and have, view and have, they Google the brand name and look at Google has to spend 7% more to make 30% more revenue. You're nutty, Rain Man. How would somebody else know that? Well, you don't. What do you do is you say, if we're going to test YouTube, what is our baseline mer? What is our goal mer? If I add YouTube and after two weeks, we start to measure, if I put in that crank up that ad spend, mer should hold tight, but we should see revenue crank up. It's the only thing. Well, it's just two spend weeks is, is arbitrary, right? It depends on the sales cycle of the product. Well, I was saying after two weeks, you start to measure. Okay. Soren, Tutu, how can we prove that PMAX audiences don't mean anything? Here's what's funny about Soren's questions. I feel like he's playing Google Ads drinking games and losing. And now he's going to you and asking you to help him out. <laughs> you can only really use Nordbeam. Honestly, that's the only way. Unless you have a way to measure a new versus returning click, you can't prove it. Not in Google anyway. You can scale it and Google will simply just take away from other channels. It's the same thing. Like Performance Max, I put 7% more budget, got 30% more revenue, and even Norpim showed that I made 17% more sales. I didn't press a button. I didn't do anything. I didn't touch the campaigns. It just made 30% more revenue. Because I told the client, if you scale Facebook, Google's going to look better. Mm. And I have 84 asset groups, all pure cold in that campaign. 84 cold PMAX asset groups. And I think just gained 30% more revenue. It's all fake. Dave Fogel, I found some YouTube shorts at Target matching tops also. <laughs> it's not even a dad joke. That's like a granddad joke. <laughs> My fever brain chuckled. Jordan, <laughs> on new account standard shopping campaigns, what would the ideal starting bidding strategy? I'm using max conversion value with enhanced CPC, waiting for more data. 
T. Roas at 20%. Jan Slavnik, as you can see, I haven't run a lot of YouTube from the questions, but is there a way to target audiences for YouTube or is it always optimized targeting expands the audience you give to Google? It won't necessarily always expand, but it will expand inside the audience. So turn off optimized targeting in one campaign. If you want to test optimized targeting, test optimized targeting in a separate campaign because optimized targeting means it gets to go wherever it wants. Warm, cold, it doesn't matter. It's just going to go wherever it wants. So sometimes those look a little bit better. But if you look at the insights tab in a YouTube optimized campaign, sometimes you'll see cold traffic audiences that then you can use inside your YouTube campaigns because YouTube with optimized targeting turn on will still give you audience insights. So here's my plan. Run a YouTube with optimized targeting only turn on first. And then you're going to have probably pretty good performance, which saves you from getting berated from your client. Just know it's going to be half warm, half cold. And then look inside the insights tab and you'll see that these are five audiences that look to be good. Take those five audiences, stick them in a targeting campaign of those five audiences with optimized targeting turned off. And now you're hitting the targets that optimized targeting found, which is the cold audience, even though it was intertwined with the warm audiences. You know what's sad to think about, dude? I, I think we would make more money and be more successful as an agency if we just used YouTube and or Google in-app metrics. If we bought the lie and just said, yeah, ROAS is up, I think you'd get more client because it's so hard for people to know and to tell. Well, I don't understand the scenario that just happened, but I was like, hey, I allowed myself to bow out because I neglected to make myself look good in-app. Right. Like, why would someone do that? Like, sure, I'll turn on Pmax, capture a bunch of brand. You're already spending five times as much as Facebook. Do you know what happened though? When that client first came to us a year and a half ago, he was running five PMAX campaigns. And I said, don't take me on, just pause PMAX. <laughs> You'll be fine. And then he paused PMAX and was fine for three months and came back and said, you know what? I actually rather give it a shot. I said, cool. So we took him on saying, this is going to be speculative. You're not a Google ads company. This is going to be hard. You have a unique WYSIWYG that no one's ever heard of before. It's similar into content pivots. So we started YouTube and we started shopping. Shopping was doing good. YouTube was doing good, but to a, not a good ROAS but we measure back end. That's when the CMO said, well, these metrics in app look terrible. I'm like, I know on purpose. And that's where we disagreed. What's sad about this is we're the ones that convinced the world to use performance max. Yeah, I know, right? But we're also vindicating ourselves because we're like, wait, people, yeah. we found well, the it used to work and now it doesn't. <laughs> uh, we'll leave Whatever, the suit. Well, How do you yeah. differentiate between organic and paid sales and Shopify? Can't. Uh, unfortunately, you can't. Joe, what, what would consider as a negative keyword? The criteria that would consider negative keywords, standard shopping can do negative keywords. Actually, let me, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm thinking... Again, for Walid, what was that other question? How do you differentiate between organic and paid sales and shop? Organic and paid. You can't really. I mean, the only way is UTM, but do you have a 40% decay in UTM parameters? You have directional, but you're not going to be 100%. Okay. So I'm asking for advice on negative keywords in standard shopping. What would consider as a negative keyword, the criteria that would give consider a negative keyword? Because you're not going to be able to measure in-app performance in standard shopping because Google is going to steal it. And for anything else like Pmax or just not counted at all. And even Shopify, I saw it said unknown conversion action. Like it was saying, we don't know how this person bought from us. Even Shopify is like, I can't see it. So I think that Google is actually pushing it down because even Shopify can't see my standard shopping conversions. I just know it's there because when I crank it up, everything goes better. My opinion is because standard shopping goes so broad and so wide, exclude anything that you common sense would say, that's not good <laughs> because you're going to spend the rest of the money on the other ones that you didn't that said, you know what? I like those better. And then measure mer, unfortunately, or get Norbeam and try to measure first click versus last click as much as possible. Jan Slavnik called out Dave Fogel for not watching the ultimate guide to Google ads part four. Aren't we supposed to shoot a part five or six? I don't think we finished the ultimate guide to Google ads. I don't remember. I don't remember either. See, this is what happens, people, when you get what you pay for. Yeah. It's a little messy. <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhere. I'll, we'll figure it out. Sorry, y'all. Dave, go watch that. Emmanuel Philippe, should I target different keywords in PMAX and search campaigns to reduce overlap Would targeting the same keywords increase cost? So I actually don't use performance max kind of anymore and then in my campaigns because they're focused on and well, hold on in fairness I, though just so everybody knows you test them daily is that a fair statement i test them yeah what's funny is i run a feed only as much as i can with no signal and signals mean but um, it's an important distinction you're keyword. not saying i don't use I performance max so i don't know you're saying i have tried to use performance max over and over and over and over, and over again and it's not working yeah i'll give you a, a good scenario here Here's what I would say is I use a feed only with no insights. I never use any insights because I leverage performance max to go after what I give it. So I use the insights as in my other campaign. So in your specific example, performance max will go after the quality search terms from your search campaign, whether you add it to performance max or not. The performance max will overtake anything else. That's what it's designed to do. So give it a different campaign for it to overtake 
that will be stronger than any signal that you give PMAX. That'll work. We got all the way through the ultimate guide part five and I'll see if there's, did we end with a promise to do a part six? Also, these comments are amazing, dude. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. I can keep going on here too. All right. Um, Separate asset groups based on product or audience for Performance Max. I know we just kind of said we don't use Performance Max. Let me share with you the mess up here. I'm going to do a whole live on this because here's what I want to demystify for everyone too. How PMAX asset groups and signals don't matter now. And Google even gave us a tool to prove it and no one has seen it and no one uses it. It's mind boggling to me that I see a lot of these people on LinkedIn that are not screaming from the mountaintops on this. Let me give you a quick scenario. The 36 people out there, this is gonna be a gold mine for you to pierce through how BS it's the assets and the signals are. For example, that campaign that I just shared with you is getting $55 conversion. It's costing in the last two, let me do this last 14 days here. It's costing the last two weeks, I spent 13 grand and made myself 138 grand. Wow, so fantastic. And then it says, hey guys, did you know that we actually have now the asset groups tables where you can now see what asset groups are performing well? And I'm like, holy crap, and the internet blew up and everyone's like, whoa, I finally get to optimize my asset groups. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So you're telling me that I have 53 conversions and $33 a conversion. And I made $24,000 in conversion value with a 14X return in my in-market office supplies asset group. That is fantastic. A good thing is putting a bunch of costs there. Man, I love this. Conversion rate's good. Everything is looking hunky-dory, like beautiful. And I'm like, you know what? Why is my in-market office supplies selling hammocks so well? And then you look at the insights tab. And then after you look at the insight tabs here, you scroll down into which is brand matches 82 of my asset groups, even though it is quote unquote removed as a branded keyword in Google that was just continually screwing me. And you look at the asset groups and say, where's all these branded conversions coming and converting from? Wow. Oh, weird. I got 10 grand in in-office market and office supplies. Thanks. My asset groups don't mean crap. My signals don't mean crap. I can't measure anything because of return tracking. Google just went office supplies. What does that help me? It doesn't. So wherever Google just decides to plop that conversion there, you're going to go, what is the ad copy? What are the headlines? What is the long headlines? What is the descriptions? What are the signals? Let me optimize it. And then Google says, brand conversion now over there. And you're like, oh no, what's going on? It's all fake. It's all junk. Signals, I have brand excluded in that signal. I have 100%. I have 83 cold traffic, no warm traffic, no brand, no existing users, no converters. None of my asset groups have any warm audiences, none of my data at all but it just decided to plop my last 25 grand in branded conversions in that asset group. And now all PMX doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so when people say, what should I do? My answer is don't honestly, that's why I'm switching back to standard shopping more and more. It's, it's so fluffy. I love it when I hear you gearing up to be sarcastic. <laughs> Emmanuel Philippe, expensive products, 3K and over and a small budget, 10K a month. Should I set initiate checkout as primary conversion for a better optimization? Yeah, no, 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 no. Only, only do checkout, please. I have another use case I could share. But if it's we an want interesting to idea minutes. though, right? It's like, all right, it's a super expensive product and this is a predictive indication of intent. So, hey, Google, give me more people to do this. The problem is the bidding strategy. Unless you're running manual CPC, I guess that's the question. If you're only running manual CPC, for sure. But if you're running an automated bidding strategy, never. Mm. The problem is you're, you're looking at a few things. You're looking at if I get more of the smaller conversions, naturally, I should get more of the bigger conversions. That's not always true. More often than not, it's not. And there's a very popular PPC company that we take a lot of business from that always do micro conversions. And I always shut them off. And we always do better. And I'm going to pull up a very, very simple use case. And I think that this is going to be really important for people to see. And I'm just going to pull in the last 14 days, year over year. And hopefully this comes up on the screen here well. While you're because... looking for that, can I ask you about that agency? Yeah. Does it rhyme with ontological suppositions? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I can pull this up here. I need to add in all conversions. Hold on. All conversions. While you're doing that. Dave said something funny. I trained an AI bot on everything John said, so now I just ask it what I should do with my ads. <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> he calls it WWAIJD. <laughs> Let me see here. I was actually before that, so I have to go back to probably like February or something. 
Dave said something else funny. I just got a call from Google India. Was thinking of answering and just putting the phone up to the PC and let them listen to John talk and blow their tiny minds. <laughs> I make a joke because when I get all those calls from all the people that are in India, they're like, we're going to help you optimize your campaigns. I'm like, I should send you a bill. I know. This one, I just don't even understand, but it's funny. Chris Markle, how can a true Texas player use data-driven attribution to represent the South in 2023? <laughs> <laughs> a true Texas player would know the answer to that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm, I'm too middle-aged dad. All right, man. I don't know if I can really show that. Anyway, I need to have more time, but I just want to share with you. There was 591 conversions and 51 grand in spend. This is year over year performance of just February. Because last year, February, it was on this year, February or, or March or January. I forget what it was. I turned it off. But what's funny is you can see that the cost spiked up 130% here. The conversions only spiked up 65 after I shut off everything else, which is like downloaded product catalog, and there was a bunch of other stuff, I have to have to go into a different time range. But the only campaign that I started counting after that went up 141% for 130% more cost in the account. By using automated bidding strategies, when you're using TCPA or something like that, or if you're using anything that is a restricted bidding strategy, what you're asking Google to do is not focus on the only conversion action, but get you a cheap conversion action, get you as many as you can, regardless of what happens to other conversion actions. So you're training an AI tool to look at a micro conversion and a macro conversion. And you said, give me all of them. What happens when the micro conversions get bigger at a faster rate than the macro conversions? You hit a point of diminishing return. Your only recourse, shut it off. So I've never actually had micro conversions work better. They've always worked worse. The problem is, is people a lot of times will lean into micro conversions and then get the macro conversions, don't really do deep dive optimizations, even post Google ads, call it a win, send a fluffy report to the boss. And it's like, you got 120% conversion rate. How'd you do that? You're like, I counted everything twice. It's not there. <laughs> I never had good luck in micro conversions. I've always shut them off. Always did better. Chris Markle, serious question. What was the most challenging phase during Solate's growth? How big was your team at the time? How did you overcome those challenges? I'm talking about the rooftop at TNC. Who was the rooftop at TNC? Was Scott? Mm, it was you and I. And it was one other person, I don't know if we want to mention him, but we're looking at the future of what we're going to be offering as a core service, like 2018. We were talking about content versus PPC. I don't remember this at all. We were talking about what is the future. So this is back when we did everything full funnel. Yeah. Before we niche down to Google. And I think that was probably the toughest part for me was we did everything. We did websites, we did content, we did PPC, we did SEO, SEO we did Facebook social apps. You want your car wash, we'll do that, lawn mode, anything. We'll yeah. do it. We'll mow your car. Walk your lawn. <laughs> Probably. We're still figuring out the time. So we didn't have it all, all identified. But that was the biggest thing is really niching down and becoming a master of one was a big risk. People want one-stop shops. They want everyone to do everything right. Problem is you're going to get everything 80% right. But where we'll eke out the additional 20% matters to big clients that really want that. So I think the biggest thing that we did was niching down to something that was really specific. That was the biggest turning point the biggest scale to success because we got really good at one thing for anybody. And then now I, I have, we have 200 clients that are in 200 different industries and we rock it. But that means that now I'm very good at this tool for any other industry. I think that if you niche down too far, you lock yourself into too much. Like if you're just good for chiropractors, maybe that's a fail point because COVID would have closed your business. Mm. So that's the thinking is like the biggest biggest point was niching down enough that the market didn't reduce in size too much, but we can focus on something that will allow us to expand back into that. I think that was probably the biggest, like the hardest thing to do is like, what do we do? It's funny because I fought you on niching down for about a year. Do you remember you said something to me? It still I take a thousand dollars to yell at these people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that was the line. So we, we had a vendor that did our Google ads. We weren't doing it in house. We'll call them Acme bros. Me and John were just talking about, you know, various opportunities and everything else. You know, if we got a website, we actually were doing the website management, not the build per se, but it was, there was a lot of work on that. SEO, there was a lot of work on graphic design, content, social. And then for PPC, we just sent it to Acme bros. And it, you, you finally like, because I was like, well, bro, like, you know, websites, a hundred grand and PPC is a thousand dollars a month. And you're like, I'll take a thousand dollars a month to yell at Acme bros. And that's <laughs> what we were doing. We would take a thousand bucks a month and then just those guys would do the work. And then we'd say, fix this, make this better. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, we basically just, you know, arbitraged it. Um, yeah. And we would have grown forever with those guys. The problem was, is we just had difference of opinion. And I think the future of the companies um, values, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I try it, not to screw over my friends. Yeah. Oh, well, so that's the thing is it was, it was a, yeah, it was basically just what could we scale, take a profit, do minimum amount of work. And then we kind of got thrown into it. It's like, nope, we had to do it ourselves. And 
We got that really, was the hardest really... part for me. Is we, that's true. We were reliant on one vendor. We had one vendor that was literally doing everything, and they fired us. And we had thirty days. We had thirty days to build an entire Google Ads agency in house from the ground up. I think that was the most stressful period in this phase of my entrepreneurial career. Oh wait, collapse is a whole different thing. If I was smarter, we would have been diversified with vendors. We would have had two or three. That way you're saying with the niche, if, if you're only serving chiropractors, COVID kills your business. If all your eggs are in one vendor basket and that vendor decides to blow up, go out of business, get too big, fire you, you're screwed. Yeah. It's like the niche or the vendor. I mean, everything, what we should have learned as well, diversification across the board, but also that was the hardest thing. Yeah, for sure. It was picking down a niche and then having the supplier of that niche go away. <laughs> it's almost like being Walmart and the great value factories like no more. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it was a single point of failure. But but I think yeah. that the the key to our success without question was niching down. There's like 14 years of like answers here, so <laughs> Yeah. There's a That lot was your there. idea, which it pains me how hard I fought against it and how right you were. So let me just say that out loud publicly. Thank you. <laughs> It was a team effort. Ian Mason uh, for Performance Max. <laughs> what are the best practices for video? Ian, just stick the knife in yeah. and twist it. Well, he know. asked this. When I, was, I don't know. <laughs> I know. Do you just skip the Performance Max questions? because No, no, no. Let's no, it's, it's keep you on. Yeah. What are the best practices for videos? Have you noticed certain specs for creators? So that's the thing is Performance Max is going to be auto-targeting. So videos are going to go wherever they want. My opinion is not run the videos inside of Performance Max because it gets to choose how much ad spend is spent in the video campaign on any sort of day. And since I usually default to non-restricted bidding strategies, maximize conversion, maximize conversion value, I don't want YouTube to be able to just go and blast out non-click attributed spend. So I always exclude them from PMAX and run them separately always. This is an interesting question from John. Using low tier us is basically kind of max conversions, right? <laughs> it almost is. Yes. Yeah. Think of it though. I want this. This is the scenario low tier as works center shopping. You wake up one day and all of the obvious bad search terms you didn't get bids on, like a little assistant went in negative keyword, those things, and all of the best performing products have the most amount of spend. That's all low tier as does. It's like an assistant. You don't show up for anything stupid. And most of the spend is going to what is working the most. Like the, it's a Pareto rule automated. It's an 80% efficiency on 20% of what is working best. That's really a low two rows. It's all it does. So we're being trolled. Ooh. Who do you think this is? John, John Ray's dog. It's either. It's Glenn. Glenn. Yeah. Either Glenn, yeah. Yusuf, Caden. So here's the thing. Glenn's not sloppy enough to mess up John's yeah. Moran's dog. John's Moran. That's, Yus that's Usama. Usama's grammar is the worst of anybody. He sends me emails and I'm just like, <laughs> you have a doctorate. Like how did you get through school? It, Usama, I love you, man. But you kind of write emails like you text. <laughs> it's like, okay. I'm like, no, I went to a client. Just kidding. Yeah. What is the minimum of conversion for Performance Max to work? I'm thinking of excluding brand from PMAX, but then conversion will drop a lot of it. I hope this isn't anybody from our team, actually, because excluding yep. brand from PMAX doesn't do anything. So here's here's what I would say. I have a video two weeks ago or three weeks ago, or maybe four weeks ago. I don't remember. I excluded brand from all PMAX campaign. The cold traffic split between warm and cold. So like 10,000 visits, 6,000 are new. The new visits ratio only went up 4%. My CPC dropped, which means I got more YouTube discovery display and GSP PLA traffic from the same audience. All I did was shut off two networks out of the six available networks of people that are going to show up on a brand name. Google didn't just say, dang, my audience can't Google me anymore. I better change audiences. No, it just said, all right, stop spending there on Bob and spend on there on Bob. So the cold traffic didn't fluctuate. So I don't, I don't, I actually would rather show up for brand because now my smart or my standard shopping has a place for those people to return. Larry. Hello, when it comes to adding negative keywords, do you use a tool or curious your best practices when adding negative keywords? I realize it will depend on the campaign goals. I don't use a tool. I always will run them manually. That's one thing that is good about T-ROAS not messing things up. Or low T-ROAS is not messing that up for me. I'll give you a small use case of low T-ROAS. So I have a campaign that I spend a hefty amount of daily ad spend on per day. This one right here, I spend $10,398. I am getting, let's do the last seven days here. Hold on. That's still back in February. All right, so this last week I spent 430 in this account. And in this one here, I spent 10,398. I spent 160. It's got an 83% ROAS. Now, because I measure NCAC, like you all should be too, we need to be under $140 cost per acquired first-time customer. I'm getting 76. Beautiful. It's a medication company. They buy 12 times a year. I don't need to make ROAS on one sale. I got 11 more this year I'm not paying for because I'm not using Performance Max and not paying for them again. Knowing that I'm within goal, 
I have a 40% TROAS on here, which means that if you look in my products and you sort descending in the last seven days by cost, this is what I'm spending and this is what I'm getting at the conversions on. They're really, really well in line. So as the conversions are 169, I got five grand. Then all the way down the middle, I got six, I got 500. Then all the way down the bottom, I have four, I got 250 or 100. So it's spending, but as you see, 62, 26, 31, 51, 69, 149, 38, 63. I need to be under 140. All of these are under 140 on average. So you see how this is under 30, under 40, under 100, under 80. I'm spending the most amount of money where I'm getting the most amount of conversions at the CPA that I want, which is keeping my whole campaign in line and under 75. The best part about that is when you do that, you can take campaigns and do this. You take the cost from 11 grand and kick it up to 25. And if you're measuring on the back end performance, I lost, I gained a 2% increase in my CAC cost. 2% went from like 96 to like 98. I have a whole bunch more now coming back to the brand and top line looks beautiful. But now I can spend anything I want. I spend 10 grand a day, perfect. Kick it up to 25 grand a day within one day, change happens, I measure differently and CAC looks good. Running to your low T row as allows 4,000 SKUs to spend anything I need at under half the goal that my client set for me. And I can scale up to 25 grand a day if I wanted to. I'm going to do rapid fire and wrap this up. Sure. What's your opinion on triple wheel? Does it measure more correctly? No, especially because when you're using the new attribution tool that they have been pushing, the problem though is, is re-attributing zero data to just whatever it believes it should be that hour, honestly. So there's really nothing. And here's my, my question for everybody because I have a client on triple wheel. I need you to all look at this total impact. This is what they're pushing and it looks great. God bless them. They're doing their best. But it's not possible. A total, po a model powered by artificial intelligence, of course, because everyone's on the AI bandwagon that uses a blend of first and zero party data, which means when we don't know where it actually came from, we think it we came from it here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you look at Google ads, I said, interesting. So let's look at the last 30 days. And in my YouTube shorts campaign, as an example, what that was that was running how did this come about here you mean that every single one of these videos made 13.2 purchases whether i spent 20 bucks or 1200 which means i either got a 0.56 roas or a 3400 when you dive deep into it it basically just says we're not sure so it just measures it everywhere the other part though too is it doesn't measure non-paid channels well it actually will reattribute based on post-purchase survey data. So you spend 10 bucks on them on YouTube and they've gotten three Facebook ad clicks and then they Google organic the brand. And then as soon as they fill out the form, if they say TikTok, goodbye, all attribution goes right to TikTok. I don't like it. Way too many fail points in my mind. Any strong opinions on the new Google ads interface? <laughs> I hate it every single time though, but I'm a crotchety old man. I still like the old all white background, but yeah, it makes everyone else's job harder, which I do like. Because we're pretty good at it. Can you quickly summarize the failure in PMAX? Yes. Auto-targeting solely designed to increase ROAS whether Google started it or not. Can we have a live on why to use standard shopping versus PMAX, please? I think that's kind of been the story for the last six months, honestly. Yeah, go back and watch the previous lives. Uh -huh. GTIN or no GTINs? Ooh, if you're a manufacturer, no GTINs. If you're a distributor or reseller, absolutely GTINs. Luxury Blades says I'm back, bitches. Hey, Luxury Blades. <laughs> Major Wave, Dave. I have a client with high repeat customer order rates and PMAX keeps advertising to those repeat customers. How can I force the traffic towards non-brand more generic terms? Switch to standard shopping. Tarun, what is the best way to manage a large budget account like 50K a day or the one you were showing where only one campaign you spend around 10K a day? So what sort of scripts and rules do you run? What's the day-by-day -day strategy? Man, I don't have time for that. Yeah. Refer but them to Solutions 8 and we'll pay you 10% of the gross recurring. <laughs> yeah. There's like about 100 things I can cover. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be hard. But actually, everything's manual and nothing is tracked inside of Google. Alan, do you still use Google Display for lead generation or do you go straight to Discover or PMAX? Actually, the lead generation is mostly search and YouTube. I like to have either scalable, identifiable intent on networks that I know have to take some sort of human interaction started first, or I like to control the narrative, which is YouTube. We did it. Yay. Thanks for watching, y'all. We go live every Friday. Appreciate all the questions that we got. John, any last words? Yeah, take the last large positive swing you saw in Google, compare that to the previous period in Google. It might be an 80% increase in like conversion value. Then take that same time period and measure it inside the back end of their Shopify, WooCommerce, doesn't matter.
every single time you see something good happen in Google, see if it actually equated to actual dollars in their bank account. That will teach you more than a thousand hours on this channel will. We'll come uh, back and then you'll learn why. Yeah, like, comment, <laughs> subscribe, high fives. We'll see you all next Friday. See you later, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Google Ads Podcast. For more ways to grow your business with Google Ads, you can subscribe to the Solutions 8 YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to work with the best Google Ads agency in the world, you can visit Solutions 8 at sol8.com. Kasim here. If you're running Google Ads, even if your campaigns are successful, my years of experience have taught me that there are almost always enormous improvement opportunities. Now, what if the best Google Ads agency in the world was willing to review your Google Ads campaigns for free and provide you with a comprehensive action plan, no cost or obligation? Notice, I didn't say audit or evaluation. I said action plan, a bullet point by bullet point breakdown of exactly what needs to be done to improve your Google Ads campaigns. Yours to keep, no cost or obligation. Head over to solate.com to get a free Google Ads action plan customized for your business. No strings attached. That's S-O-L-8.com. S-O-L, the number 8.com.